Welcome back, dear listeners, to the Pasithea Powder. It's been a while. The following recordings extend the sorry tale of Dr. Jane Gonzalez, a melancholic woman freshly landed on the deadly planet of Medea, and all the sinister things she discovered after the war. Last time, Jane escaped a deadly attack from the mysterious aliens known as the Others, with the help of Dr. George Moreau and Captain Josephine Crooks. The good doctor and the brave captain were able to rescue Jane from certain death and whisk her away to their homeworld of Medea. But Jane was unable to save her one-time paramour, Lieutenant Sophie Green, from the clutches of the Others. I should warn you, dear listeners, that this is the beginning of the end. Our little story is about to come to a close. I hope you're all prepared. A very special thanks to premium patrons Cece Fong, Abby, Lacey Bukta, and Anonymous, who helped make this episode possible. This is episode 23, Fix It. Let us begin. There was this time during the war where I had everything I wanted. I was working with my mentor. My parents were proud of me. Evelyn was alive. You were alive. We were all on the same planet together, at least some of the time. You and Evelyn had just broken out for the second time? Maybe it was the third time? He'd started doing stuff with the Salida del Sol, and he'd stopped telling me what it was. We moved on to human trials. I was coming back from the lab so tired, I barely saw him. I'd spend all day talking to traumatized soldiers while trying to see if Pasithea worked on them, and then I'd come home, and I'd walk right past him. Like, I, I wouldn't even remember leaving the hospital and walking back to the cathedral apartment. Rowley would tell me to go home, and then a little while later my alarm would go off and I'd be in my bed, my purse on the pillow next to me and my shoes still on my feet. And then I'd get up, and if Evelyn was home, he'd be asleep on the couch, his work spread out all over the kitchen table. Sometimes he'd be passed out at the table like the college senior he should have been, falling asleep studying. If I was lucky, he wouldn't have finished the coffee he'd brewed and I would get to drink the cold dregs down while just, like, looking at him and feeling wildly resentful. Because I was so tired, and I missed him, and he wasn't even helping. It didn't seem like he was helping them. Not at five in the morning. Not when I had to go back and listen to more horrible things and tell them to... And the idea of the end of the war seemed unrealistic. A fantasy for children. All that time in a world where he was alive, where Evelyn Glass was in the room with me, where I could have touched him or made him a fresh pot of coffee or put a fucking pillow under his head. And instead I just stood there hating him for getting to stay there and sleep. I think I haven't been happy for a really long time. 
I think I... When you come back, I think I want... Jane, are you awake? Where would I be if not for you? No, not rhetorically. I'm guessing. Medea isn't as much like home as the newsreels say it is. Or at least Guadalupe isn't. During the war, Eleanor Lopez would fall all over herself trying to point out exactly how identical Guadalupe was to our... to Santa Pedro. You know, same planet, same eucalyptus trees. Director Diaz and Rey Aurelio had basically the same face. And none of that's exactly wrong, but it's still not... right. The air smells wrong. The eucalyptus is invasive, but the native plants have different pollen content. The ocean is a different saline makeup. Also, there's a thick layer of smog on the horizon in every direction, so the sky looks wrong, too. Some days it looks like a band of grey at the edge of the sky, and sometimes it looks yellow. The streetlights are the wrong color, and there's too many of them, so even the night looks wrong. And the buildings are very square. Very new. They tore everything down after the revolution and built it all up from scratch, so even the oldest buildings in Guadalupe are just 200 years old. Even the streets are... square. The whole thing is on a grid. I don't know if you ever came here. On a field trip or something. I know Anders went in 8th grade. Lupe has... had family in Hijaz. She used to visit every few years as a kid. I don't mean to complain, though. George's house is fine, if square. I met Director Diaz today. I know what you'd think of that. He was... I mean, he has the same thing Reina Valencia has. That leader of a whole world thing. That I'm doing a flawless impersonation of a really charming person, but my performance was designed for a crowd of a few hundred million people thing. When you look at them close up, there's something a little... flat. A little unreal about them. Maybe it's just some buried part of your mind registering the presence of something very dangerous, even if it's also designed to captivate you. Like a mouse infected with toxoplasmosis, staring up at a cat. Do you know about- Of course you know about toxoplasmosis, I'm not talking to myself. You spent eight years in Evelyn's lap. Of course you listened to him rant about cat intelligence. He loved talking about those studies with infected rats. We can't get a cat, Janie. They're literally mind-controlling the animals around them via bacteria. Let's get a nice, not-psychoactively manipulative dog. We can definitely take care of a dog between your hours and my unanticipated activism-related absences. I don't like dogs. I like cats. What is he doing? She's talking to someone. Come on, let's go to the swing set. Diaz wanted to see me because they're pushing through production of the cure. Just like George promised me, it's going well. I barely need to be involved at all. No, sorry, that's politically naive. Diaz wanted to see me because he wanted to see if I was a threat or how best he could use me or whether he should have me killed, undoubtedly. I think what he landed on is that I should continue being barely involved in pushing through production of the cure. I'll call you tomorrow.
And now for Interfederation News. The communications secretary for Queen Valencia of Cassandra just officially announced that Lieutenant Sophie Green is no longer considered a missing person. Lieutenant Green's well-publicized kidnapping by the entities known as the Others Las Gamulus sent a shock through every human planet. For months, the public has waited for news of Lieutenant Green's welfare, as leaders inside and outside the PSA assured us defenses against the Others are being mustered and prepared. No explanation has been given by the Crown as to their change in views. As little as one month ago, Cassandran pundits were discussing rescue missions, as fruitless as those plans have turned out to be. A statement from Vice President Howe's office reiterates the Alliance's commitment to bolstering humanity's defenses from whatever lies beyond us. After this, we go to Adamar, where... A kid in a cafe stopped me today. She was maybe 18, 19, cute as a button. She's studying psychemistry. She didn't recognize my face. I cut my hair, did I tell you that? Like, a lot. Josephine told me to do it, actually, after the first few weeks when everyone on the planet seemed to know when I was in the room. It's helped. People don't try and yell at me in the park anymore. But George made me leave the house today, and then they made me order a two-sugary coffee, and they made me sit and talk to them about the latest research out of Ossia in a room full of strangers. And this kid heard me talking, and she recognized my voice. She told me it was an honor to meet me, that she watched every special The Telescope ever released about me, that she considers me something like a personal hero. And then she told me that she was sorry for my loss, and I bit her head off. And George tried to do damage control, so I bit their head off, and then George told me that they were very sorry you were dead, but that I needed to start accepting it and moving on. Or at the very least, I needed to calm the fuck down, and then I broke a cup of hot coffee on the floor of the Median Cafe, and left George to apologize to the owners. And I stomped back to George's sister's very nice, very boring, very square house, and I didn't go inside because the lights were on, which means George's very nice, very boring sister is in there with George's very tiny, very cute nephew, and I don't want to throw hot coffee at anyone's kid or anyone's mom. I'm the kind of person who throws hot coffee at her friend, though. Her friend who she's staying with. Her friend who pays for everything because her accounts are frozen again. Her friend who lets her around their tiny nephew. Wow. Not... Not that I... Fine, I'm the kind of person who throws hot coffee at the ground and mostly splashes it all over her own feet, but... Anyway. I walked around the neighborhood for a while, and then I found the public library, which meant I could at least go inside and pretend to be normal, and now I'm sitting in a back stairwell holding a sack of totally random books, feeling like... absolute... scum. I threw a wine glass at you once. I don't know if you remember it. Well, you might remember it now, if you didn't before. It was at Evelyn's funeral. His mom was being awful, his little brother was being awful, and you... I didn't know the real story at that point. At that point, stupidly, 
I thought you were going to be the least awful part, because you and I would at least feel the same thing. But you avoided me the whole time, and I looked over at you, and I knew, I knew there was something you were trying to hide from me, and I knew it was really bad. And then I followed you into a bathroom, and you tried to kiss me because, I, I don't know, because people grieve weirdly, and because it probably seemed like a better idea than letting me ask you terrible questions. And I was holding a wine glass, and then suddenly I wasn't holding a wine glass, and there were broken pieces of glass everywhere, and your pants were stained with this dark slash of wine from the thigh down to the ankle. I don't think you're dead. There are several extremely good reasons to believe you're not dead. Firstly, you and Omicron can communicate with each other. You're at an advantage that basically no other human would be because you're with Omicron. And right now, Omicron is the only alien that we know with something approaching certainty can actually understand and respond to a human speaking a human language. Omicron also spent some time processing your thoughts before he was cured, which means he might have some kind of personal connection to you. He seemed to have a personal connection to you at the end. He wanted to take you with him. He didn't want to take me. He didn't want to talk to anyone but you. Secondly, Omicron said outright that the human deaths caused by the others were not part of a deliberate attack on humanity by the others, but isolated incidents caused potentially by dissidents or criminals or othered others of some kind. So there is no reason to believe the others would harm you by default. Yes, it is possible they might decide to harm you, but it is no more a certainty than, than, well, than that I would die if I went and lay down on the tarmac outside the Guadalupe shuttle station right now. It's a higher probability than if I stayed in the stairwell of the public library, but it's not a certainty. The drivers could see me and navigate to avoid me. A security guard could see me and arrest me. A bystander could intervene. And that example is more extreme even than yours, because Omicron likes you and he gave no indication that he wants to hurt you, which means that logically it is unreasonable to assume that he took you away to hurt you. Thirdly, yes, it has been three months since your disappearance and we haven't heard anything. But the absence of new information is actually a good thing. If they meant to use you as an example, if they meant to use you as a warning, they would in all likelihood have acted by now. Fourthly, I would know. I, I would just... I would know. I have to apologize to George. I, I should probably see if there's someone I can... I mean, I should probably see someone. living in the same house as a child. I don't really know how to make conversation with small children. Is the child supposed to be at the center of conversation the entire time the child is in the room? Does the conversation need to include the child? When it seems obvious that the child will be bored by whatever is of interest to the adults? I know I'm certainly bored by what's interesting to children. Ferris doesn't seem to know what to do with me either. Whenever I do ask him a direct question, he answers me in one word. Sometimes two. It's not like... I mean, I don't hate children. Ferris is very cute. When he's asleep, or when he makes an accidentally hilarious little remark and then looks smug when everyone laughs. I, I just don't... 
I don't know, I think babies are fine. Not that anyone's let me around a baby in a few years. You don't have to talk to babies. Or, no, I, I mean, I, I know you should talk to babies, but you don't need to think about how the baby will reply or whether the baby likes you. And whenever Ferris puts his favorite game on and I have to listen to the extremely pleasant sound effects, I rethink George's offer to put me up in a hotel. That's a lie. I'm glad I don't have to live in another anonymous space. This is a home, even if it's not mine. There's a pile of shoes by the door, and brightly colored hard-edged toys for you to step on in an unexpected place in every room, and the bathrooms are always a little bit gross, and the kitchen always smells like the last thing Frederica cooked instead of the sanitized, empty smell of the ensuite kitchen I had on the mayor. Do you like kids? I can't remember. Jesus Christ. Breaking news, listeners. After months of increasingly tense saber-rattling between the complicated little planet of Cassandra and its larger and more martial-spirited neighbor... Acting President Howe has finally managed to get both worlds to agree to attend a summit on PSA territory to discuss the ongoing threat of the others. That they will also discuss the very poorly publicized disappearance of Sophie Green and the circumstances around Dr. Jane Gonzalez's rescue from the very hands of the others by Captain Josephine Crooks and subsequent relocation to Medea seems a certainty. And once our dear Dr. Gonzalez becomes the subject of intergalactic discussion, the question of Pasithea powder and the rumored Medean cure designed by Dr. Gonzalez herself must also dominate. How will humanity defeat the looming, ravenous threat of the others? How will the PSA, Cassandra, Medea, and the other independent planets navigate the thorny little problem of Pasithea and its Medean-controlled cure... We have heard nothing from Dr. Gonzalez since her rescue, or, as some say, since her abduction. If Jane Gonzalez truly was rescued by Captain Crooks, why didn't Crooks bring her to safety elsewhere on Nemea? Why the radio silence, especially during this time of interplanetary mourning for the loss of former Captain Sophie Green? Dr. Gonzalez, if you're out there... We are all- So the new song is really like a diary entry about that time in my life. Um, like, when you listen to it, this is it, you know? I'm not fucking, like, playing with you or hiding anything. No holds barred. These are my memories. This is Lily Gilder. This is me. Wow. Powerful stuff. Yeah. You can stream Lily's new single, Pass the Day of Prom Queen, on any- No comment, no comment. Dr. Allegros. Can you address the rumors that Jane Gonzalez is developing an anti-Pasithea on Medea right now? I'm just trying to get home. (laughs) In your opinion, does Jane Gonzalez's work represent a danger to Cassandra? Should we be worried? Look, if you ask me, we should all be worried. Dr. Allegros! (laughs) Dr. Allegros, we... The PSA reached out again. Not to me, to Josephine. They want to give her an award for conspicuous gallantry. 
for rescuing me from the vicious alien threat. And George, I guess. They've created a version of history where she mysteriously intuited that I would be in danger of being eaten or kidnapped by the others and swooped in to rescue me at the last second. Pretty sure they're only conceding that much because a dozen amateur videographers caught video of Josephine's shuttle leaving the demolished ASD headquarters, and this... this is the version of events where they still win. It's gonna work, too. She's gonna let them give her the medal. If the PSA wants to keep playing Medea and Cassandra off each other, who cares if they do it directly over Bernadette Moon's grave? The PSA aren't even asking for me or George back. George says I should have expected that. They're not going to keep playing the same hand now that the stakes have changed. I don't care that I'm bad at anticipating political machinations. I'm tired of political machinery. Political science wasn't interesting to me even at the university. George took me hiking after Josephine told us. The Guadalupe Hills are as beautiful as they say. I left George in the dust, tore up the trail without stopping to look at anything, and waited for them to catch up at the outlook. I wasn't wearing the right shoes for it, so my feet have a ton of blisters. They were mad at me for violating the buddy system. Maybe they just didn't like the thought of me standing at the edge of a cliff by myself. Sorry, that's not... I shouldn't joke about that to you. I'm fine, honestly. There were moms coming down from further up the trail with their kids. I just sat on a rock and drank some water. There is someone I'm talking to. A licensed someone. On Diaz's dime, which makes my skin crawl, but it's not like I can get a job. So you don't have to worry about me. When you get this. I just feel like maybe we should have heard something by now. You used to be such a bitch about Hieronymus Chang. It was my thing. Mine and Evelyn's thing. We'd go to the bookstore on release day and then go to Verde Park and lie on the grass and read them in one big marathon and then dissect them every conversation for the next six weeks or so. And you were so irritated about it. Like, you read at least a couple of them, but you obviously didn't like them. Did you ever like reading for fun? You just wanted to know what we were talking about, and so we'd be there, gleefully just nerding out, and your only contributions would be to complain about how boring it was, or how the author said something weird on a stream, or how the romances didn't make any sense. In fairness, we were really annoying about it. Incoming call from George Moreau. Decline. Here's a secret, actually. I was annoying about it on purpose. To you. It was after you and Evelyn had just started dating, and every time you just, like, casually touched him, like, I, I was just hyper aware of it every time. Your pinky finger on his pinky finger, your hand in his jacket pocket, your arm slung around his neck when he leaned his head on your shoulder. I just fixated on it. I just couldn't stand it. I was so angry, and I was a stupid, nerdy teenager, so the only thing I knew how to do was say something about Hieronymus Chang that was straight-up Evelyn bait. Something about the book's moral philosophy and how it tied into the mystery, or whether I thought River's incurable poison was a thinly-veiled metaphor for Lunavirus. I, I know you remember that one. And he was basically never able to resist taking the bait. He, he loved those stupid books. He loved having stupid arguments. 
I, I could see you steaming at me because, you know, I had his attention now. I won for the next five minutes, and I disagree with him on purpose just to keep the argument going a little bit longer. I, I bet you knew, actually. God, I bet he knew. I bet it was obvious. I bet that's not a secret at all. Incoming call from Anders Lee. Decline. The Hirona's Chang books weren't even very good. They went on for so long, and there wasn't a satisfying conclusion. No one ever... I, I mean, Rivers just gets trapped in that other world, and they never see each other again. Drea just goes back to the Academy like they didn't try to assassinate her brother in the first place, and Hieronymus acts like that's just what's supposed to happen. It's a terrible ending. None of the promises get delivered on. What teenager wants to read about that? You have a new message from Anders Lee. Ignore. Anyway... When the 11th book came out, you were being just this huge jerk about our tradition. Evelyn still came, but you wouldn't leave. Even though by that point you refused to read any more of them, so it's not like you were going to be part of it. So, I don't know if you remember this, but you met us at the park, and you brought Evelyn a lemonade, but you didn't bring me one, and then Evelyn let me drink half of his anyway, and then you were like, it's gross that you're using the same straw, and got up and came back with black coffee, which Evelyn didn't even drink. And then... Evelyn and I were reading, and he had his head in your lap, and I was dating Lupe, but I still... I mean, I was just sitting there, reading this book I loved, drinking coffee that was just for me, and, and you were on your comms, just casually stroking his, his hair with one hand, and, and the grass was really warm and soft, and the sun was bright, and my whole chest just felt tight. Incoming call from George Moreau. Decline. Anyway, um, what happened was that a daddy long legs crawled onto my shoulder, and I freaked out a little bit, and Evelyn coaxed it into his cupped hands and gave it a little lecture about scaring his friends and moral relativism. And because he was paying more attention to the lecture than to the spider, it got out of his hands and started bobbling up his arm, and you slapped his arm and crushed it. And you were like... That's moral relativism. And he was mad, but both of us couldn't stop laughing. Incoming call from Frederica Moreau. Decline. So, today is the day. You have dragged your feet for so long that Reina Valencia has finally, officially given up on you. That's right. The planet of Cassandra is finally holding your funeral. I hope you're happy. Anders was supposed to speak earlier. I wasn't listening, but that's what I heard someone say in the bar anyway. Okay. It's not a funeral. It's a memorial. A war memorial. They love you again now. Not like they ever really stopped, despite the demotion. They're adding your name to the list of war dead on the plinth outside the palace, even though the war is over. I heard about that on the telescope. They're also commissioning a statue, but that takes time to complete. They can't do that in six months. You'd love that, huh? Statue of you? Maybe they'll put it up opposite De La Pena in Cathedral Square so you can glare at a fellow war hero for all time. Through rain and sleep and dark of night. They're blaming it on me. No one had to tell me that, it's obvious. They think you were dead. They know two Medeans and Jane Gonzalez were there when you died. So everyone on Cassandra thinks it's my fault. You you really messed things up for me this time, Sophie. You... <laughs> I'm so angry I can't even think. Fix it. Just come back and fix it, okay? 
I... Incoming call from Martha Green. What? Incoming call from Martha Green. Continue message. Accept call. Hello? Janie! Is that you? I... Yes. Hi, Mrs. Green. It's me. Oh, honey. I'm... I'm sorry if you can't hear me. I'm walking somewhere. The connection is... There's background noise. I don't know what's been going on with you. And I don't know what she was doing the last few years. She didn't tell me. I don't know. Mrs. Green, I'm so sorry for... I'm so sorry Sophie got caught up in... I'm sorry she hasn't come home. Stop talking about her like she's gone. What? She isn't gone. This whole memorial is a farce. I'm not wearing that stupid diamond they sent. They couldn't even make me go. I didn't want any part of this. I didn't want any part of this either. That girl, she's always fine. Do you understand? Every single time she comes home and there's not a scratch on her. She's going to come home any day now. Not a scratch. Yeah, I, I understand, Mrs. Green. Well, well, good. I, I just needed to... Somebody needed to know that. I think you're right, Mrs. Green. Thank you for calling me. Yes, yes. Take care of yourself, Janie. I will, Mrs. Green. Goodbye. Incoming call from George Moreau. End message and accept. Accept. Thank you for listening to the Pasithea Powder. This was episode 23, Fix It. Tune in next time to see if Jane accepts anything. Molly Ogin was the voice of Dr. Jane Gonzalez. Tim Briggs was the voice of George Moreau. Special appearances by Sebastian Croissant as the voice of Ferris. Moni Olguin as Sophie's mother, and John Hedeman as David Alegros. Jackie Andrews portrayed legendary reporter Eleanor Lopez. Annie Moriondo appeared as Lily Gilder. Rose was someone. And Tennille Chandler was Jordan. The voice of the computer was Cade Lebron. Narration by She doesn't get eaten by the eels at this time. I'm explaining to you because you look a little nervous. Original music by Annie Moriondo. If you've enjoyed our little story, please rate and review us on your podcast player of choice. It really helps. You can find us on your favorite podcast player, on Twitter at Pasathea Powder, or on our website, PasatheaPowder.com, where show scripts are available. To help us do what we do best, please consider becoming a patron. For bonus content and to support production costs, find us on Patreon, or to make a one-time donation, visit our Ko-fi. The Pasathea Powder was created by Bad Wine Productions. This episode was written by Molly Ogin and edited by Jackie Hedeman. Our heroine will return in episode 24, Mission Creep. Hello there, citizen. 
You've lived in Guild City for a while now. Maybe you've wondered when you wake in the morning and retrieve the letters tucked neatly into your postbox, just where your mail comes from. It comes from the night post, of course. Those faithful couriers deliver it while you're sleeping. All the better that they stay out of sight and keep the unseemly strangeness that follows them out of our city, in the skelter where it belongs. <coughs> if, for some reason, you'd like to know more about Guilt City's conscripted couriers and the burden that chose them, their secret hopes and fears, the ancient, untamed threats that hound them on their nocturnal journeys, you have only to listen. The Night Post is a queer supernatural audio drama, delivered weekly, in dead of night, to wherever you listen to podcasts. Find answers at nightpostpod.com.